Amen. Well, today we are jumping into our next value, value number six. And today's value is excellence. And when we laid out this series, man, I think I, I was thinking to myself, wow, I can find a biblical way to teach about each and every one of these things. But what am I going to do for excellence? You know, if you think about reaching people, we have the Great Commission and we have Jesus saying that the laborers or the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we're called to be laborers in that harvest. If you think about growing people, uh, Scripture talks all about how we're to mature in Christ and, and have our powers of discernment tested by knowing what's good from evil and how we mature as we are as we continue in life in Christ. I mean, if you think about generosity, we know scripture is full of generosity. And speaking of which, thank you guys again so much for getting on board as we gave to Pastor Brandon and Alyssa. We were able to really bless them. We haven't released the amount just out of protection of their privacy. Uh, but thank you guys so much for getting on board with that. If you want to know more details about how that went, feel free to reach out to myself or Pastor Brian directly. We'd love to talk with you about it. But I know that they were tremendously blessed by your generosity. But scripture tells us all about generosity, how God loves a cheerful giver. And then we talked about community and we all, I mean, we remember that message from Pastor Brian, that common interest and that common purpose. And scripture tells us to not ne neglect or forsake the gathering of the brethren, to not forsake being in community with one another. Scripture in informs us that we need to be in community. That's how we grow best. And then last week we talked about encouragement and the whole word of God, as Pastor Brian said, is encouraging to us. But when you think about excellence, what do you think? What comes to mind for you? I know for me, I have a flashback. I don't know how old you are. If you're as old as I am, I'm not going to tell you my age. But if you're as old as me, my flashback goes to the Lexus commercials in the 90s where they had their motto "It's the relentless pursuit of perfection. And you heard that and you were like, wow, they're working towards something. That's excellent. It makes me want a Lexus. You know, I had a past, my pastor back then used to say Lexus rejoice. Right. Everybody wanted a Lexus because they had this relentless pursuit of perfection. And oftentimes when we think about excellence, that's what comes to our mind. Perfection. We think that that when we say, hey, we value excellence, what we're really saying is that we value perfection. And no, guys, that's not what we're saying at all. Today, I want to give you a biblical explanation of what we mean when we say we value excellence and how you can see that God desires excellence from each and every one of us and how you can operate in excellence in your life. If you're ready to dive in, say I'm ready. You can go ahead and type it in the chat or give me a thumbs up. Just say I'm ready. All right. I hope you are. So to start off, what I really want to do is I do want to give you a biblical definition of excellence. And here you go. Write this down. A biblical definition of excellence. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is giving God your best in obedience over time. Let me say that again. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is giving God your best in obedience over time. And what I want to do today is I just want to break each one of those things down for you a little bit as we talk about this idea of excellence, because we are a church that values excellence. We want to do everything that we do with excellence. I believe it's Colossians 3.23 that says that everything that we do in word or deed do is unto the Lord, not unto men. Right. So let's dive into this. The first part of that was that excellence is not perfection. Again, if you're like me, you think about that Lexus commercial, the relentless pursuit of perfection. So when we think about excellence, most of the times we associate it with perfection. And for some of us, that becomes our excuse to not live in excellence. We're like, God knows I'm not perfect. He knows I could never live up to that standard. He knows that I'm not a perfect person. So why should I even try? And we give up before we try. We use that as an excuse. We use it as a cop out. We think that God is after perfection. But no, God has never demanded perfection from us. He's never demanded perfection 
from you. He knows you're not perfect. You're right. He knows that you can't do everything perfectly. He is the only one who is perfect. God has never demanded perfection from you. In fact, there's only one time that God has ever demanded perfection, and that perfection was demanded to pay the price for your sin and my sin. See, God is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. And when Adam and Eve sinned against him and sin entered the world, there had to be a perfect sacrifice to pay for that sin. See, God knew that we would never be able to pay that debt on our own. So when God did demand perfection to pay the price for our sin, he fulfilled that request himself. His son, Jesus, clothed himself in flesh. He emptied himself of his glory. He came down to heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died on a cross in your place, in my place, perfection becoming or taking on imperfection so that you and I could be made right in the eyes of God. See, when God did demand perfection, he fulfilled that request himself. He doesn't demand perfection from you or from me. Remember, excellence is not perfection. Excellence is giving God your best in obedience over time. So if you're one of those people that thinks that, hey, I have to be perfect to come to Jesus, hear me clearly when I say to you, you do not have to be perfect. You can come to Christ just as you are. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means you don't have to be perfect. You can come to him just as you are today. And he is the one who lived the perfect life, who died a death sinless, who was raised victoriously from the grave three days later. And because of that, you can be made righteous in him. You don't have to be perfect because he's perfect. In fact, we're going to be celebrating his resurrection in just a couple of weeks, y'all. Easter is right around the corner and it's going to be our very first in-person service, our very first time to come together as a church body and just celebrate all that the Lord has done in us and through us and for us and to celebrate his victorious resurrection. I hope you guys will join us there at Nansman River Baptist Church on Saturday, April 3rd at 6 p.m. as we celebrate Christ in victory because he was perfect and you and I don't have to be. And that's something worth celebrating because I don't know about you. If perfection was the requirement, if perfection was the demand, I would have failed a long time ago. Haven't been perfect. I don't know. I know that's a shock for some of you guys. You're like, Pastor Jay, hey, we know you're perfect. Pastor Jay is not perfect. So I'm sorry to disappoint you. You can go ahead and laugh now. My wife already is. It's okay. But I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And God knows that we are not Perfect. And, and that's why when he did demand perfection for something, he fulfilled the request himself. Excellence is not perfection, but excellence is giving God your best. It's giving God your best. And, and I want us to talk about this for just a minute. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. You can go ahead and start turning that way. We're going to be start reading in verse 34. But excellence is us giving God our best. And here's what I want you to hear from me on this. My best may be different than your best. You know, my skills may be different from your skills. My ability may be different from your ability. My resources may be different from your resources. And if we spend all of our time in comparison, what we do is we don't give God our best. We give God an imitation of what someone else is already giving him. Did you catch that? When we spend our time comparing ourselves to others and trying to be what someone else is, we're not giving God our best. We're giving God an imitation of what somebody else is already giving to him. God wants your best. He created you uniquely and he made you for a purpose and he knows everything about you. So when he says he wants your best, he wants your best, not your best imitation, not your best forfeiture, not your best counterfeit. He wants your best, your absolute best. Look with me, if you will, in, in Matthew chapter 22 
And we are going to pick up reading in verse 34. And just to kind of set the scene for you here, Jesus is in a group of people. He's there with some Pharisees and some Sadducees, and there's some other people in the crowd. And for those of you that don't know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the religious leaders of the time when Jesus was alive, when he walked the earth. They were the religious leaders of that day. And so they were the ones who tried, who had to teach the children of Israel. They were the ones who uh, were responsible for making sure people adhered to all of the rules and all of the laws. And so they try to trap Jesus because Jesus is coming and Jesus is a teacher that did not grow up with them. He did not come up through their system. And so in their eyes, he wasn't supposed to be teaching. But yet Jesus is full of wisdom and they're trying to figure out, like, where did he get this wisdom from? So they do everything that they can to trap him and disprove him and discredit him. And that's what we find here in Matthew chapter 22. If we start reading in verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. Now, these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were both religious leaders, but they interpreted things a little bit differently. And because of that, they were at odds with one another. I know that sounds familiar with a lot of the stuff that we see today, different denominations, different interpretations of Scripture, all at odds with one another because we can't agree uh, on what Scripture is actually saying to us. But these are two groups here that are like that. They are at odds with one another and they're both trying to trap Jesus. But it says when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And here's Jesus response. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. He said, this is the first or the great and first commandment. Jesus went on to say, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying here, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul. If we read the account in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Luke adds the word strength there as well. So it says with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God wants all of you. He wants you to give your best. And I love that he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. See, our heart is where our desires come from. Our heart is the deepest part of us, the deepest, darkest part of us at times. And Jeremiah talks about how the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is our heart. This is where our desires come from, is from our heart. So he's saying to love the Lord your God with all your desires, to set your desire on him. Like Psalm 37, 4 says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means that he will put his desires in your heart. It'll no longer be your desires, no longer those fleshly things that come from this this root or this place that that scripture says is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It'll be God's desires in your heart so that as you act and as you live, you will live out of the overflow of the desires that he has placed in your heart. That's one of our big prayers as pastors, Pastor Brian and I, and prayers for our church is that God put his desires in our heart and that as we live, as we act, as we grow, as we serve, we're doing those things out of his heart and not our own. So he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Think Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in him and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put his desires in your heart so that you can love him out of the desires that he has already given you. But he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart. He says with all your soul and our soul. Typically, when we hear that word is talking about our will and our emotions, that our will is fixed 
on him, that we've decided to submit to his will, to pursue after him, and that our emotions are fixed on him, that we're not swayed by winds of doctrine, that we're not tossed to and fro by the sea, but that our emotions are fixed on him, that we are grounded on in him. It doesn't mean that we're never going to have turmoil. It doesn't mean that we're never going to sway or have doubt. But what it means is that God is our source and he's our resource and our emotions are fixed on him. It goes on to say with all of your mind. And this makes me think about Romans chapter 12, verse two, where it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. This is our thoughts. These are our attitudes and our beliefs. Are your, is your mind fixed on Jesus? Is, does your mind love the Lord with all that you have? Or are your attitudes negative? Are your beliefs against God? Are you holding on to things that don't line up with his word? Are your thoughts horrible? I know my thoughts are bad at times and, and I'm so thankful that you can't see what I'm thinking all the time because sometimes my thoughts go to a place they don't need to be. But scripture is telling me Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my mind to set my thoughts on him. And I think that's why Philippians four is so good. And when he says that, when Paul says that whatever things are good and holy and just and pure and of a good report, think on these things. Think on things that glorify God. Think on things that honor him. That's how you love him with all of your mind. And then the passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, adds the word strength to love the Lord your God with all your strength. That's giving him our bodies, using our physical abilities for his glory and for his kingdom. Doesn't mean that we can't have fun. Doesn't mean I can't go play basketball or lift weights or play golf. Doesn't mean that you can't go running or fishing or anything like that. But it does mean to do all that we can to honor God with our bodies, to use our physical abilities to glorify him and to serve him. And so, church, when God says that he wants he wants excellence or that he desires excellence, he's saying he wants us to give him our best. Are you giving him the best of what you have or are you giving God your leftovers? You know, that makes me think about the story of Cain and Abel, I believe it's found in Genesis chapter four. Here you have these two brothers, the sons of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had just been put out of the garden in chapter three because they sinned against God. And they have these two sons. Now, these two sons knew enough to make an offering to God. They knew God enough to the the point that they wanted to offer something to him. And you have Abel, who Abel was the guy who tended the livestock. He was the one who had the animals and stuff. And Abel brought the best of what he had as an offering to God. And then you have Cain, who was more of a farmer type, who worked with fruits and vegetables and and the seed of the ground. And so he brought an offering, but it was not the very best. And the Bible says that God had no regard for Cain or his offering. And I read that and I'm like, wow, it didn't just say he had no regard for his offering, but it said he had no regard for Cain. And I think what we're seeing in that passage of scripture is that God was seeing into the intentions or the, 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 uh, into Cain, Cain's thoughts and his intentions. God was seeing into his heart and God was seeing that his heart was not pure. See, Cain didn't just bring whatever he had because that was all he had. I mean, that would be like the story of the lady with the two copper coins. All she had was two coins. God wasn't expecting a great amount from her because she gave all. We talked about that when we discussed generosity a few weeks ago. But Cain had more. He had better. He had things that were that were more honoring or more pleasing to God that he could have given, but he chosen not to. And because of that, God didn't only have disregard for his offering, but God had no regard for Cain. This angered Cain. This made Cain so angry that he killed his brother Abel. 
And through that story, we see just how a family or how a person can get so destructive when they're not giving God their very best. We see how that when we come to God and we give him these filthy rags, when we come to God and we just give him whatever our leftovers are, that's not pleasing to him. He wants us to love him with all of our soul, all of our heart, all of our mind and all of our strength. He wants us to give him our very best. It's not just enough to bring an offering to God. We need to give him our very best. Because obedience, again, it's not perfection. It's giving God your best over time or in obedience over time. It's giving God your best in obedience over time. And that obedience piece, I mean, when we think about that, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. He wants us to keep his commandments. He wants us to obey his word. He wants us to follow him. See, you can't truly live in excellence. You can't really give God your best if you're living in disobedience. Scripture says that obedience is better than sacrifice. God doesn't even want your sacrifices in that way. He just wants your obedience because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, my word will abide in you and you'll abide in me and you'll have life. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He wants our obedience again, because excellence is what? It's not perfection. It's giving God our best in obedience over time. And this over time piece now I know is a little bit different and it actually didn't hit me at first. I was actually going to stop with just this idea of us giving God our best because that's really what excellence is. But then I was working with, we have a guy that we work with as a graphic artist, and we're trying to come up with these icons to represent our values. You know, icons, little symbols that when you look at, you'll know what value we're talking about. So for instance, for reaching people, we just chose to use the bridge from our logo because Jesus is the bridge. He bridges the gap between us and God, but we are a bridge between people and knowing the Lord, right? We can be that bridge. We can be the ones to guide them to life in Christ. So we chose to use the bridge for that. For growing people, we use, it's a, it's a little plant that's taking root in, in essence. So it's a small plant because it indicates that, hey, you have room to grow. We all have room to grow. We're not fully grown yet. We have room to grow. I'm not going to go through all the values that way, but when it came to excellence, we were like, man, what do we choose to represent excellence? Like, like what, what demonstrates that? What do you do? You know, and there was ideas like, hey, we could, we could put up some stars and you're reaching for the stars. Or, you know, you could put up the gold medal, the blue ribbon, the number one, you know, stuff like that. But then I was thinking about it and the scripture came to my mind. And it's the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. And Paul says, and, and actually let's turn there. Second Timothy chapter four. It won't take long to go there. If you're in Matthew, you just start flipping towards the back of the Bible. And when you're almost at the back, you'll get to the book of Timothy. Some of those letters of Paul go pretty quickly. So if you're not careful, careful, you can flip right past it. But we're going to be in second Timothy chapter four, and I'm going to read in verse number seven, but I'm going to give you a chance to get there. In the book of Timothy, just to kind of give you a little set the scene or refresher of what's happening here. The book of Timothy is the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son, someone that he led to the Lord, someone that that he's kind of mentored over time because Paul is near the end of his life and he knows that. And so he's writing to Timothy and these are kind of his last words to Timothy to to encourage Timothy to keep the faith, to encourage Timothy uh, to keep pursuing Christ and to keep doing what God has called him to do. These are Paul's last words to him. And so in first uh, second Timothy four, verse seven, he says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And when I read that, I thought to myself, man, that speaks of excellence to me. He's giving God his best 
in obedience. He says, I have fought the good fight, guys, and you and I, we are all in a spiritual battle. We are all in a fight. And I would ask you the question, are you fighting the good fight or are you just throwing your leftovers at it? He says, I have finished the race. We are all in a race. We're in a spiritual race on a spiritual journey. We are heading to a destination. And then he finishes with, I have kept the faith. And that's what really struck me about excellence. Giving God my best in obedience is keeping the faith that I have kept the faith. And so the idea or the the thought that we had for the icon for excellence is a person crossing that finish line solely based off of this verse that that Paul gives us here that I have fought the good fight. I mean, a boxer would have been pretty cool. But, you know, how do you how do you really depict that in the icon? I mean, I guess we could. Right. But a boxer would have been cool. But this idea of finishing the race, but not just finishing the race, but keeping the faith. Now, something that jumped out at me as I read this, and this goes back to the idea of excellence not being perfection. Paul didn't say, I have won the race. He said, I have finished the race. He wasn't in a comparison. And even though he used the word race, he wasn't racing against anybody else. He was racing against what God had called him to. And I'm pointing that out to you because I want you to hold on to that, guys. You are not racing against anybody else. Your race is not my race. What we're all racing against is us fulfilling all that God has called us to do in the time that he's called us to do it. That's the race that we're in. Am I pursuing God? Am I doing everything that he's called me to do in the time that he's given me to do it? Because honestly, guys, we all have a limited amount of time to fully pursue him. That's why excellence is so important that we give God our best. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I have wasted so much time, not just even in worldly things, but just wasted time not giving God my best. But he calls us to live in excellence. See, God doesn't he doesn't demand perfection from us, but God requires obedience and he desires excellence. He requires obedience. It's non-negotiable. We have to be obedient to God and he desires excellence. That means he wants us to give him our very best. He wants us to give him our very best in obedience to him, to his call over time. And for those of you that feel like, you know, my best just doesn't measure up to what someone else's best is. That's why I don't do anything. God already knows you. He equipped you. He designed you. He created you for a purpose. He's not worried about how you measure up against someone else's best. Stop comparing yourself to other people. He wants you to do what he's called you to do in the gifting and the anointing that he's called you to do it in. See, that's what our calling really is. Our calling is when God takes our gifts and our talents and he matches them with his might, his power and his anointing. And he sets us loose in the world in front of us. And we go out and we we reach the world for Christ. We impact people with the gospel. We go out and we live faithfully for God. We fight the good fight. We finish the race. We keep the faith. That's what our calling is all about. And you have a calling. Your calling may be different to mine. Maybe you're not called to be a pastor or a shepherd. Maybe you're not called to be a teacher, but God has gifted you and he's anointed you to work faithfully in service to him, to glorify him. And it's up to you to step into that calling and to do it because church, hear me on this. You will be miserable until you do so. See, I've worked in jobs in the past where I knew that God was calling me to something different, but I liked my income and I liked and I actually enjoyed what I was doing. But I was so miserable in the moment because I was not doing what God had called me to do. God wouldn't let me sit still. He wouldn't let me be. And I fought against him because I was comfortable, but I was miserable. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, how someone can be comfortable and miserable. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're comfortable where you are and that comfort is holding you there. But internally, you're miserable because you feel like you're fighting God and you feel like there's so much more you could be doing and you're not. 
I want to challenge you. Step out in faith. Step out in faith. Don't be afraid to pursue God with all you have. Don't be afraid to go after him. Step out in faith. Step into that calling. Let God work in you and through you. And you will be amazed at what God can and will do through you guys. Excellence is not perfection. He's not demanding perfection from you. Excellence is you giving God your very best. It's me giving God my very best in obedience to him over time. If you turn a few pages forward to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see what is called by a lot of people, the hall of faith or like the hall of fame of faithful people. In Hebrews, again, it's just a few pages if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 starts with this famous verse about faith. The definition of faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then if you jump down to verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Think about Paul saying, I have kept the faith. But then if you keep reading through Hebrews chapter 11, you come across people like Abraham and Noah and Barak and Moses and all these other people who were faithful to God because they were holding on to a promise that he gave them. Many of them never even lived to see the promise fulfilled. But you and I get to live in the fulfillment of that promise, who is Jesus Christ. We get to live in that. And then if you read through that, you see all these people who fought a good fight, who kept the faith, who finished their race so that you and I would be positioned to run the races that we have right now. And then if you jump into Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, you read this powerful verse where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that clings so closely, because when you're running a race, when you're in a good fight, when you're running a race, all of that extra weight, all of those things that cling on to you, they slow you down. They keep you from giving God your best. They keep you from doing your best. They slow you down. They hold you back. He's saying because we have all those witnesses, all those people that we can look at throughout Scripture. And let me tell you what you really see in Scripture, people. You don't see people who are perfect. You see people who give God their best. You don't see people who are perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. He lied and said Sarah was his sister. There was times that he doubted. There was times that he messed up. Joseph wasn't perfect. Joshua wasn't perfect. King David definitely wasn't perfect. There were plenty of times that he screwed up, but he knew how to repent. God's scripture. God is asking us to give him our best. He doesn't want perfection. He wants our best. He wants your best. He wants you to give him or to love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't worry about how the person next to you is loving God. Focus on how you're loving God. And that's when you can operate in excellence is when you do, when you decide that, hey, I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to be obedient to him and I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to do this over time. Don't get caught up in comparison. You know, there's one other thing that comes to mind for me when I think about this idea of excellence and why sometimes we don't always give it. And I'm actually going to close with this piece. And I want you to listen to me clearly, church, because I think that for many of us, this is really where we are. I think sometimes we use comparison as an excuse. I think sometimes we use I'm not perfect as an excuse. But I think what really happens to some of us and why we don't operate in excellence when it comes to our relationship with God is because we've lost sight of who it is that we're serving. We've lost sight of who it is that we are giving our best to. We've lost sight 
of who God is. We don't see him the right way anymore. We've lost our respect for him, our awe for him, our reverence for him. We don't always see him as holy. We've made him into so much of a friend that sometimes we forget that he's God Almighty, seated on a throne, that he's high and lifted up, and we've lost our sense of awe for him. I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you. You don't have to turn here. I'm just going to read it to you. But as I read this to you, I want you to just close your eyes for a second, and I want you to think about the words that I'm reading. I'm going to be reading from the book of Isaiah, but I want this to kind of set the stage for you to to show you just who it is that we worship, to show you just who it is that we're pursuing, just who it is that we're supposed to be giving our very best to. And it's Isaiah chapter six. And just close your eyes. And if you're like, hey, that's weird. I don't want to close my eyes. You don't have to. But just really listen to the sound of my voice as I'm reading this to you. And picture yourself being there where Isaiah is. Picture yourself being in Isaiah's shoes in this moment. In Isaiah chapter six, it says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah talking. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood two seraphim. Those are angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face and with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says, goes on to say in verse four, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah found himself in the middle of God's throne room. He sees God high and lifted up. This is not some God that you would see in a picture or in a little statue. He sees God Almighty high and lifted up. The one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who shouted or who spoke his voice and the planets flew into orbit. The one who called forth and Lazarus came out of the grave. He saw God Almighty high and lifted up. And guys, we will not give God our best if we don't see him that way, that he is Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's God Almighty. He's Elohim. He's the creator. He's our father. He's the one who loves us, but he's also the one who's seated on high. He's the one who angels who have never sinned have to cover their face when they fly in his presence and they cover their feet because he's holy. He's high and lifted up. He is God Almighty. And sometimes we lose sight of that picture of who God is. And we don't give him our best because we treat him like he's our boss, not like he's our savior. And we live under the old adage, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And we treat God like a boss and we miss out on worshiping and serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's why sometimes we don't give God our very best because we have lost sight of the fact that he deserves so much more. Are you giving God your best? Do you see him as the king seated on the throne, high and lifted up? The one who spoke to Moses, scripture says, like he would speak to a man. But when Moses asked God, can I see your face? God said, no man shall see my face and live. He's high and lifted up, y'all. 
He's holy. And the only reason we can even have access to his presence, the only reason we can even step into his throne room of grace to find mercy and help in time of need is because of what Jesus did on the cross and shedding his blood for our sin. And because Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, therefore, we now have access to the throne room of God. But we better not forget who it is that we're serving. We better not forget who it is that we worship. Guys, when you step into the presence of Almighty God, there's nothing else we can do but to drop to our knees. There's nothing else we can do but to kneel down and throw up our hands. There's nothing else we can do but to worship and to cry out, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. The whole earth is full of your glory. One day we're going to stand before him and we're going to worship that way. And I can't wait until that day, but we don't have to wait until that day. We can worship him that way right here, right now, by loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. He's not demanding perfection from you, but he does require obedience and he desires excellence. Will you give God your very best? I don't know about you, but this message as I was preparing it, it really challenged me to just take a look at the areas in my life in which I have not been giving God my best. See, I love to work for God. I love to serve God. I love to be your pastor. I love to be a shepherd. I love to teach God's word. But I also love to just kick it and do me. I also love to be lazy at times. I also love to not do anything at times and go into my nothing box or whatever box that is they say that men have where we just do nothing. And I, and I love to do things at times that just please me. And I'm not even saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to have things that, that are pleasurable for you in your life. The real question I'm, or I'm asking and the thing that really challenged me is, do I have that priority in the right order? Do I prioritize giving God my best or do I give myself my best and give God whatever's left over? And that would be my challenge for you today, church, as we talk about this idea of excellence, that we value excellence as a church. That means we always want to give God our best as a church in obedience to him, being faithful to what he's called us to do and how he's called us to do it over time, not just for a moment, but for the long haul. This is a long term thing for us. Seven Cities Church is a generational church. And that doesn't just mean that we want to reach different generations now. It means that we want to be here for generations. We believe that God has established this for generations and we're laying a foundation that will last for generations until he returns. This is not about me, not about Pastor Brian. It's not about our kids or even our grandkids. This goes far beyond all of that. We wanna give God our very best in obedience over time, but we also wanna do that individually. And we ask you to do the same individually, to give God your very best in obedience to him and his word over time. Can I pray for you, church? Heavenly Father, I am humbled at the fact that we have access to your throne room, that, that as Isaiah said, that, that he stood there and he was like, woe is me. And some, some translations say, for I am undone. Like he was completely torn apart just by being in your presence. And, and scripture says that an angel grabbed a coal off of the altar and touched his lips. And because he did that, he was, as Isaiah was made clean. And then it says, Lord, that you asked, who will go for us and who shall we send? And Isaiah said, Hear my Lord, send me. 
I pray, Father, that that would be all of our prayers today, that, that as we know that you have touched us, not with a coal, but with the blood of Jesus, that we've been made clean and made right with you, Lord, that when you say, who shall I send, who will go for me, that we would respond with, here we are, Lord, send us. Here we are, Seven Cities Church stands before you, Lord, send us. Here I am, Lord, my name is Jay, I stand before you. Send me, send me, Lord. Send me as a laborer to your harvest field. Father, send me to reach the law. Send us out to help those who are broken and who are addicted. Understanding that excellence isn't about the isn't about um, just how we do those things or or the materials that we bring to those things, Father. But that true biblical excellence is giving you our best, Lord. And that as we give you our best, that people will be impacted, that lives will be changed, and that you will be glorified, and that we will be impacted, Father. That when we operate in excellence, Lord, that, that when we operate that way, Lord, that you change us. That you change us when we give you our very best. You change us. Your word says that we love you because you first loved us. Help us to be obedient to you because you've given us so much. Help us to give back to you because you've given us so much, Lord. Help us to live in excellence because that's what you desire. Thank you, Lord, for placing your desires in our heart. And for every person in the sound of my voice, Father, that does not know you, I pray, Lord, that you would send laborers across their path. And if we are those laborers, I pray that you would use us in their lives, Lord. For every person in the sound of my voice listening to me pray right now, Father, that is not living in excellence, Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would encourage them. Remind them, Lord, that it's not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that even though you require us to live obediently and even though you desire excellence, Father, that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can do this in your power. We don't have to make it about us, but you give us the very gifts and the anointing and the calling that you require of us, that you've given us everything that you already require. Help us to live that out. Help us to, to live in that, know, in that knowledge. Help us to be encouraged by that and to know that we are equipped to do all that you've called us to do because it is you, it is you doing it through us. Lord, we love you. We glorify you. We know that you are God on high, seated on a throne, high and lifted up. We pray, Father, that our worship is honoring to you and that you are glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' precious, holy, and matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen.